Hey, I'm Pastor Jeff Dawes, lead pastor here at Stockbridge Community Church. I just want to say thank you for joining us here online. It is our prayer today that today's message would be helpful and meaningful to your life. If you're in the South Atlanta area, I would personally like to invite you to come to one of our three services on Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 12 p.m. We're located at 4401 Highway 155 North in Stockbridge, Georgia. You may visit our website for more information at sccview.net. Again, that's sccview.net. Thanks again for listening. I hope that you have a wonderful day. Good morning. Y'all got to do a little bit better than that. Good morning. There you go. There you go. Um, for those of you that don't know, we serve coffee. If you got to wake up a little bit before you come to service. That was a joke, by the way. Um, hey. So, uh, like Rhonda was saying, my name is Chris. Uh, I'm our Connections Pastor here. Uh, if we haven't met, that's, that's who I am and what I do. Not the good father kind, that's a different thing. But um, I, I get to continue our series today uh, with, with a pretty heavy topic, if, you've, uh, if you're one of those type A's that's already read ahead. Um, I get to continue with a pretty heavy topic, but before that, um, I want to share with you some of the things that would have been more fun to answer, okay? Now, remember, you guys submitted 1,300 questions, okay, that you wanted to be answered during this series. So I'm going to do my best to uh, give you guys some, some good, clear uh, responses, not an answer, but uh, uh, some responses. But first, I want to share with you some of the topics that, that you guys asked. Uh, one of these that would have been really fun to preach on was, why did God create the platypus? Hey, you, you guys asked that question, okay? That was a serious question. Somebody, don't laugh at that. Somebody really wanted to hear a message on that. Um, another one, were Jesus and Lazarus zombies? Now, that would have been a fun one, okay? Because I would have had some people dressed up. They would have walked out. It would have been great, um, but we didn't get to do that. Um, and, and here's my personal question that I submitted that we, did not, uh, that, that we will not be answering today, and that is, why did God allow spiders and cats on the ark? That was my question. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry for you cat lovers. Maybe you can just tweak that in your brain and think that, oh, well, Chris didn't really say cats. No, I said cats. Um, why did God let cats and spiders on the ark? That's a question that I ask every time I walk through a web. Um, okay, so now you guys should have gotten, and if you did not, please tell me. I'm sorry, I put it in the wrong pocket. Uh, you guys should have gotten a pebble, one of these. Can you hold it up if you got yours? Right, if you didn't, could you keep your hand up and uh, one of our ushers can help you out there if you need a, a pebble. Um, thanks, guys. I appreciate the help there. Um, we're going to get to these today, but before we do that, now that I've kinda, we've kind of chuckled a little bit over some of the weird questions that some of our completely normal people asked, uh, I want to share with you guys some pretty heavy questions that asked. And, and, and here's how we came to our question is we pulled the, all the questions into categories because we would love to be able to answer all of them. But the truth is, in, in a series that over the summer, you really just can't do that. So what we tried to do is combine the questions and answer as many as possible that way. So here are some questions that were asked that are very, very real, everyday things that we deal with. The first one is, why do children have to suffer? If you've ever had a child that's been sick or a prolonged illness or even just uh, watch some of the, the commercials for the Christian Children's Fund, you wonder why do children have to suffer? It's a very real thing. Um, the next one, and if you're anything like me, you felt this uh, uh, quite often in your life. Why me? What did I do so wrong to deserve this? 
All right, that's a real question that, that people wanted answers to. And the next one uh, is, to me personally, maybe the most heartbreaking, and that is why do some babies die so young? That is heartbreaking. Like, to even think about that, that's, that's terrible. That's terrible. It, it, I, I've lost uh, uh, several adults in my life, but, but losing a small one like that, I can't even imagine what that must feel like. And that's a real question. So that's the reason that kind of leads us into our title today, uh, which I kind of lumped together, and it's this, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? Before we can answer why do bad things happen, um, I, have to, I have to kind of prepare you. Before we can even get to responding to that, uh, I want to share with you guys three fundamental principles that we have to understand long before we can get a response to that question. And the first one is this, God is good. Would you write that down? God is good. You know, there's a, a prayer that we teach our children um, over the dinner table. There's a prayer that we teach our children, um, and, and it starts out, and you can say it with me if you know it, um, God is great, God is good. Okay, we can stop there. I heard a guy that has a master's of divinity, okay, he's got a seminary, a, a, the, a theology degree, say that there is more positive, practical theology in that first line of that children's prayer than he got in his entire uh, master's program on Bible study. There's more practical theology because before we can understand anything about God or how he interacts in our lives, before we can understand any of that, we have got to understand, above all else, God is good. Amen? It's a simple thing. Now, next time you're praying with your kids, you're going to think about that. Uh, next, or if you, well, if you have small ones. Now, if you have teenagers and they're still kicking it off, well, God is great, God is good, we might need to work on that a little bit. But um, for those of us with little ones... Yeah, um, so let's move into Matthew. This is Jesus talking here. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Jesus is speaking to a crowd, and he's actually talking parenting, but he's comparing uh, the way we parent to the way our Father in heaven parents all of us. He says, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. This is when he gets specific coming up here. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Of course not. I hope not. Here, kid, chew on this for a little while. There you go. Um, no, no, you don't do that. Uh, or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Look, if you do that, I will call the cops on you. Uh, look, okay. Um, and he responds, he says, of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good? Now circle that good. How much will your heavenly father give good? Circle that good, not the first good. I'll show you why in a minute. Give good gifts to those who ask him. Now, that first word, the first good that comes up in that sentence um, is from a Greek word that oddly enough means good. Okay? So uh, the second one, though, is where things change. The second one is from the Greek word agathos. Say that with me. Agathos. Now, all of you can say that you learned something uh, uh, college level today. You learned a little Greek, right? So agathos. Now, agathos means good, but agathos doesn't just mean good. It means absolutely good. So he's saying that if, uh, to me personally, what that says is that if I can give a good gift to my child, God can give absolutely good gifts to me. 
Aren't you happy about that? Let's get somebody in here excited. Uh, okay, well, since it didn't, let me, let me do this. Uh, let me explain to you the difference between good and absolutely good. Okay, good is a tolerable, shabbily made hamburger from a fast food establishment. Absolutely good is a double bacon cheeseburger with onions and mushrooms from Five Guys. Amen? Yeah, I start talking about food. Church people love food. Um, here's, a di- here's another difference. And if this doesn't get an amen, you've got to check your pulse, okay? Or maybe you weren't from the, you're not from the South. Um, good is me going to the, the grocery store and getting a box of factory-made dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. Yeah, my mouth is watering. Uh, absolutely good. Absolutely good is me going to Krispy Kreme when the hot sign's on. Can the church get an amen on that? Look, I tell you what, y'all get more excited about some donuts and hamburgers than you will when I start talking about Jesus. Now listen, I think you get my point, though. That's the difference between good and absolutely good. That's the big difference. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, number two, let's just move forward here. Uh, Number two, God is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. God is good. God is all-powerful. Now, just like there's a difference between good and absolutely good, there's a difference between powerful and all-powerful. Because you see, this stone, or better yet, for you, for you baseball fans, a baseball, is, you don't really look at it as powerful. But you put it in the hands of a major league pitcher throwing 96 miles an hour, and that baseball becomes a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> that baseball becomes powerful. You think about the strongest hurricane, some of the footage you may have seen on TV or on the news. You think about the strongest hurricane. A hurricane is powerful. Nobody would deny that. By itself, it's powerful. But I ask you this morning, what is more powerful, the storm or the hand that can calm the storm? See, because in Mark chapter 4, we we read a a, a narrative of, of a time where Jesus is in a boat. And there's a storm, and Jesus is asleep. He's taking it easy. And his disciples, they get fearful, they get afraid, and they wake him up, and they say, hey, don't you care? Dude, there's a storm out here. That's the new Chris version. Your version probably doesn't say dude. Um, But dude, there's a storm out here. Can you please come do something about this? Hello, Jesus. And the Bible tells us, and I'm not going to ruin this for those of you who who are going to go a little more into this during your connect group this week, but the Bible tells us that uh, um, Jesus kind of passively says, okay, peace, be still. It's almost like it was an afterthought. So again, I ask you, what is more powerful, the storm or the hand that can calm the storm? God is all powerful. That's number two. Now, I want to talk a little bit about an Old Testament prophet, okay? Now, his name was Habakkuk. Can anybody say that with me? Without looking at your program, can anybody spell it? All right. Uh, His name was Habakkuk, and uh, Habakkuk was an Old Testament prophet, probably in Jerusalem, and um, he he was kind of known for kind of gloom and doom. Um, Most of his prophecies, especially early on, uh, were kind of, okay, God's mad at everybody. He's going to destroy everything. And most of that came from his life experience and what he was seeing. See, because in chapter 1, Habakkuk was down in a valley. He was down in a valley. He was in despair. He was seeing everything around him was going wrong. Um, There was was, um, uh, uh, basically everything that you can imagine wrong in your life or in our nation or abroad is going on right there in his life. 
He's seeing different, different uh, nations come in. They're attacking his people. They're harming the people he cares about. He, sees, uh, he, he gets prophetic words from God saying, I'm going to take care of this and destroy everything. And he's in a valley. And maybe you walked in here this morning and you felt like you were in a valley. Like everything around you is just falling apart. But i got to tell you, in chapter 2, God speaks a word of encouragement to Habakkuk. And in chapter 2, Habakkuk goes from being in the valley to climbing up to the top of the watchtower. Now, if you're not familiar, um, a watchtower would have been the tallest building in the town he was in. And again, most scholars believe that was Jerusalem. So in Jerusalem, that would have been a very tall tower. God spoke a word to him. Now in, in chapter 3, it gets even better because we see that he just took steps away. All right, he's put some distance between the, the valley and the watchtower. But in chapter 3, he's all the way on top of the highest mountain in the area. He goes from the valley to the mountain. He goes from the valley to the mountain. And, and here's the thing. His name, the word Habakkuk, means to embrace. So when I, tell, when I read this passage, I want you to embrace what, what the word says. In chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, he says this, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice, say that word, rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful, say that word, joyful in the God of my salvation. What he's saying is no matter what's going on at work, What's going on in my family? What's going on with my friends? What's going on in my world? Yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Because ultimately, the things of this world and the things we experience are going to fade away, and the only thing that will matter will be the God of our salvation. Habakkuk's faith took him from the valley to the mountaintop. And if you're here this morning, maybe you're wishing, where's my mountaintop? Where's the ladder? How do I climb out of this? I'm going to try to get you there uh, throughout this message. But I got to tell you, when we are in the valley, it is only our faith in our Savior that can take us to the mountaintop. Amen? Now, I want to share with you a few more questions to kind of drive this point home that you asked, kind of give you, allow you to take the temperature of our church and see what people around you may be experiencing. Uh, one of them was, why did my marriage fail? even though I tried so hard. That's a real pain that someone right here in our church is feeling. Um, the second one, my house is falling apart. Our bills are behind. Why does my family always have to suffer so much? And for most of us, we felt that. And lastly, why is there still injustice and evil in the world? Number three, the third fundamental principle it might sound like a cop-out, but it's completely accurate. Number three is this. Please write it down. Bad things happen. Just before Jesus was arrested, he knew what he was going to endure. He knew about the shame. He knew about the embarrassment. He knew about the curses. He knew he was going to have his beard ripped out. He knew that he was going to be beaten almost to the point of being broken. He was going to be tortured in ways that God will and nobody in this room will ever experience. He was going to experience the worst tragedy known to mankind when someone completely sinless would sacrifice all. He knew all of that, and in spite of that, he sat down and broke bread with his closest friends. And he gave them a word of encouragement, 
But that word of encouragement is also a very hard truth that we have to understand. And this is what he shared in John 16, He said, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. What's so big about overcoming the world, you might ask? Everything that we just talked about that, that, that comes into the question bad things in that category, everything that we've talked about so far and the questions that you've asked are all a result of a fallen world. They're all a result of living in a sinful, fallen world. But what Jesus says is, here you're going to have to deal with that, but take heart because I've already overcome all of it. Amen? That's what our Savior says. Now, I want to share with you my two responses and what I hope your two responses to bad things happening in your life or in the world uh, will be. But before I do that, I have to tell you that one year ago, I stood exactly right here and I preached a message in a similar type series. We were talking God on film and and my message was uh, about David and how he slew Goliath and how he went from being a chump to a champion. Again, that's the Chris version. Um, He went from being a chump to a champion and it was a a great, powerful message. I felt um, it it felt great doing it. Um, And I realized something in the last year as going back and reading back through that passage. Before David was a king, before David was a champion, David was a shepherd. And it's something that we read through really fast, and we can pass through this part really fast, but the truth is, I believe that the reason the Bible tells us that King David was a man after God's own heart is because long before David had any power, David had the heart of a shepherd, the heart of a father. And it's kind of like a prequel. It's kind of like, You never really understand why Batman's Batman until you know what happened to Bruce Wayne. You ever think about that? That's some good theology. Okay? The great theologians over at DC Comics helps me out with that one. But you never really understand why Peter Parker cares so much about helping the little man as Spider-Man until you know what happened to him as Peter Parker. And in David's case... There's also a backstory, and I love a good prequel. Now, if you're here this morning and you enjoyed the Star Wars prequels, I'm just going to ask you to leave right now because those were awful. Sorry. I mean, I thought above all that would get an amen this morning, but Krispy Kreme donuts is what this service is all about. All right, all right. I'll give you my first response. I'll give you my first response is this. God does not punish his children. He prepares them. Give you a second to write that one. God does not punish his children. He prepares them. Matter of fact, that was another question that was asked. Two questions, actually. Uh, Why are we being punished if we are living in God's will? And the second one was, why is my faith tested so much? Has anybody here, other than me, you ever felt like your faith was really tested? You ever felt like you were being punished even though you were trying your hardest? God does not punish his children, he prepares them. 1 Samuel, verse seven, uh, 1 Samuel 17 picks up, David said to Saul, now Saul, if you're unfamiliar, Saul is the king. He's supposed to be the bravest, boldest man in the nation of Israel. <clears throat> and instead, he gets shown up by a shepherd boy. So David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Have you ever felt like you were about to take a step out of something, and other people pulled you back into it? 
Have you ever felt like you were just about out of the storm in your life and other people who didn't want to get outside that storm pulled you right back into it? There's a, a scientific study that was done several years back. Um, and while obviously I don't endorse using animals for, for lab experiments, but this guy, he took five small monkeys and he put them in a glass room. The glass room had, uh, it had water hoses attached all the way around. And those water hoses were equipped with sub-zero temperature water, freezing cold water. In the center of the room, there's a ladder, and at the top of the ladder was, was a, a big thing of a, a bushel, I guess, of bananas, and there were some other fruits in there too. Every time a monkey tried to go up the ladder to get to its prize, they were blasted with that water. All five monkeys tried it. All five got blasted with water. The next day... So no, nobody got the prize. The next day, um, one of them was removed from the experiment, and another one was put in. As soon as this monkey took a step toward the ladder, all the other four monkeys grabbed him and pulled him out of the way and would not let him even make an attempt to move toward the prize. This was repeated for the next six days until there was no monkeys left in the experiment that had ever actually been blasted with water. And not a single one of them took a next step out of fear of something they had never even experienced. And I find that David found himself in that situation on day six, so to speak, where he had never been blasted. He'd never experienced what Saul has experienced. And truthfully, Saul had never fought Goliath. But what David says is, I'm going to do it anyway. David did the opposite of what that experiment proved. And David broke the mold. And because of that, David went from a chump to a champion. And we're going to pick back up on the story here. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Now I'm going to explain this really fast. What he means by keeping uh, uh, his father's sheep is David was a shepherd now. How many of you guys are dog lovers? I mean, you have a dog in your house and it is part of your family. You will fight somebody over saying that, over, over saying that's not true. Okay, now notice I'm not asking the cat lovers. Um, for the dog lovers, you understand what it's like to truly love an animal and have it be part of your family. For a shepherd, it was no different. The shepherd saw the sheep be born. It saw the sheep be weaned. The shepherd saw all of that. He was a lifelong parent to this animal. So for anything bad to happen to one of those sheep, it would be as heartbreaking. And I, I hate to compare this, but it would be as heartbreaking for David, who was a young boy, uh, as, as one of us, if something were to happen to one of our children. That's where David was in his life. So it picks up, uh, David said, When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Now, you don't have to be uh, uh, an animal expert to understand that when a lion or a bear drags off a small sheep, even after you rescue it, there's probably not a lot left to rescue in most cases. This was a tragic event every time something like this happened. So despite the fact that David did kind of uh, go out and handle his business and take care of the animal, he still lost the sheep. And it was a tragedy. But David was being prepared. He said, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. 
You see, because when one person takes a step beyond their circumstance, it inspires others. It motivates others. That's exactly what David did, and that's why the Bible tells us he was a man after God's own heart. He had the heart of a father. He had the heart of a parent, the heart of a shepherd. i got to tell you this morning, sometimes God will put you where you don't want to be to teach you something you thought you already knew. And God did that to me about six years ago on what should have been the the greatest day of my life. It ended up being uh, potentially at that point the worst day of my life. I want to share a photo with you. Um, My son Christian, this is him at birth. He was born, he was premature. And it was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful thing that happened. It was also horrific because not too long after, not too long after this, um, my wife Jessica, who's sitting on the front row here, and I'm going to try not to get emotional about this, but my wife Jessica, she went into a coma. And so for about a week, I didn't know, it, I didn't know if this picture would be the only family portrait we would ever have. It was the scariest moment of my life. And she would probably tell you it's a blessing that she doesn't remember most of it. I would say that like Habakkuk at this point, I, would, I, I think it's fair to say I, I was in a valley. Didn't know if she would ever be coming home. Had a son that was premature in NICU on one floor and a wife in a coma in ICU on the floor beneath it. It's the most horrific time of my life. But just like Habakkuk, just like David, when we can move beyond that circumstance, our faith will take us from the valley to the mountaintop. Amen? And I want to share this next photo with you, which is one of my favorite pictures in the whole world. That's the most beautiful photo that I'll ever see. Because that's a photo I wasn't sure I ever would. When my wife came out of a coma, when Jessica woke up, um, the nurses actually broke some rules. And you're not allowed to take uh, someone that's in ICU from ICU. But Mama wanted to see her baby boy. And they broke the rules, and that's how this picture was taken. They broke the rules where she could see her son for the first time. And he'd been alive at this point. He'd been in this world for a week. That's one of the favorite things I've ever seen. And i got to tell you, that is about watchtower level right there. That's when you kind of move things up. But, uh, and you can go ahead and put the next one up. Um, this is us now. Okay? This is almost six years after the fact. And i got to tell you, that's what it looks like. That's the power of our God. That good, good Father we sang about earlier. How, how, how your faith can take you from the valley to the mountaintop. And if that doesn't get your blood pumping this morning, nothing I will say between now and the end of service will. Amen? Amen. As it turns out, I'm running a little bit behind, so y'all have to listen faster at this point, okay? It's a hard part to get through. But um, our memory verse, our memory verse, Romans 8, 28, in the NIV says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now the word good there is not agathos like we talked about earlier. It's not a physical, it's not a physical tense good. Um, You could actually internalize it this way because this good refers to us 
gaining more of Christ in our lives. And it says this, uh, you could internalize it this way, and we know that in all things, God works toward me, becoming more like Christ, who I love and have been called to spread the word about. You know, there's a difference between memorizing a verse and internalizing a verse. And when we can internalize it that way, that's powerful. That's powerful, church. Got a next step for you. So if you'll turn over your connection card and read this. Uh, the next step is simply this. And I, I'm taking it, and I believe each and every person in this church should take this step with me today, and that's that even though it's hard, when facing tragedy, I will remember God's plan of triumph. I will remember God's plan of triumph. I spoke a little bit earlier about the greatest tragedy in history, about the death of Christ, the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb, being broken, brutalized, beaten. I spoke about that with you earlier. I said that it was the worst tragedy. And so with that in mind, I want to give you my second response. I want to give you my second response today, and that's that crucifixion leads to resurrection. Crucifixion leads to resurrection because I want to tell you, uh, Jesus, he did die on the cross. He was, uh, he, he was uh, physically brought to the point of death and ultimately did experience that death. It was a real death. Jesus died. It was a perfect sacrifice for a sinful people. And we embrace that today. Um, but I want to tell you uh, what's amazing is that he didn't stay that way. Because had Jesus stayed in that tomb, uh, you can look, look, take a glance at your stones. One of, uh, much larger, of course. One of these was placed in front of that tomb. One of these was placed in front of that tomb. And to many, even his closest companions and friends and loved ones, they thought that that stone would stay there and so would he. But the power of God, just like, just like the Lord, just like our God used tiny little stones one tiny little stone to take out David, or to take out Goliath, for David to take out Goliath, he would then roll away a much larger stone for an even greater victory. A victory over death and sin, hell, the grave, the enemy. He would roll that stone away and out would walk the greatest champion the world would ever know. And that's our Savior. Under crucifixion leads to triumph. I want to simplify that for you. Uh, would you write this? Tragedy leads to triumph. Whatever valley you are in right now, there's a mountaintop waiting. You might have to go through the watchtower to get there. But what's crazy is that from the watchtower, you're still looking at a, a, a bird's eye view. But from the mountaintop, that, that's said to be a God's eye view. See, God looks at things. It's all about perspective. He looks at things differently than we do. He doesn't look at a stone in front of a tomb and say, well, that's a wrap. We lost. He looks at the stone in front of a tomb and says, get out of the way, my son's coming out. You can't hold him. That situation, that crucifixion, that burial could not hold him. I want you to take these stones, put them somewhere at home, put them on the countertop, put them in your car, put them in the cup holder, because you know what? The tragedy might not be today. And sa but sadly, we all, just like Jesus said, we will face trials and sorrows. Take this and put it somewhere this week. You might not need it for years to come, but you might need it right now. You might need it in the morning. 
you might need it on the way home today from church. I hope that doesn't happen to anyone. But it certainly can, because bad things do happen. May this rock, may this pebble, may the stone that you're taking home be a constant reminder. Somewhere in your house, somewhere in your car, you can put it on your desk. That no matter what circumstance or valley you're in, no matter what tomb you feel like you're currently in, this tragedy can lead to a triumph. And with that said, um, I want to share one more passage with you, and then I'm going to pray for you. Isaiah 43, uh, verse 1 through 3. It's an Old Testament prophet, and in this, you'll see he's foreshadowing, he's prophesying uh, what will come. He's prophesying on Jesus. He says, but now, O Jacob, and to you I would say, now, O church, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord. For I am the Lord. He says to this stone, for I am the Lord. He says to your situation, the problems in your marriage, the problems in your family, the problems that you're experiencing at work, in school, wherever. He says, for I am the Lord. Your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Most of us at some point in our life will be in a situation where we need a hero to come and save us. The only hero that can truly do that walked out, of a, walked out and left an empty tomb. And isn't that a beautiful thing about our Lord is that it was a borrowed tomb? Have you ever thought about that? They didn't buy it, put a down payment down and make payments. They borrowed it just for a little while. For just three days. For in that three days, just like in Habakkuk, that three chapters... Our Savior went from the valley of sorrow, uh, uh, even as David called it, the valley of the shadow of death. He went from there to the mountain. And he's seated at the right hand of God right now, and he's ruling and reigning and coming again for each and every one of us. And if you're here this morning and you would say, Chris, I haven't truly made that decision. He's not truly my Savior. I, maybe you even grew up in church. That was part of my story. Maybe you even grew up in church and you know all about God. Well, let me tell you, I know all about a lot of people, but I don't necessarily know them. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And there's a prayer in your program if you would feel more comfortable praying that. If not, you can pray word for word after me. I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept that Savior that is no longer in that tomb. Because if he was, we wouldn't be here today. There'd be no need to come and worship a dead God. We serve a living God. We serve a risen king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for my sins. Such a brutal, agonizing death. But Lord, I thank you even more for coming back in such a glorious way and ascending to heaven where you sit now watching over everything on the world and in my life. Lord, I believe you died for my sins and I believe you rose again from that grave. I believe the stone in my hand right now is no longer holding you in a cave. Lord, I ask you to be my savior. I ask you to guide my life. I ask you to help me and strengthen me to turn from my sins and to do your will and to live a life that is pleasing to you so that generations to come will do the same. 
And they will have an influence they may never have had before that. Thank you above all for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with us this morning, I'm not going to ask you to do some kind of creepy initiation, okay? But what I do want to ask you is if you'll turn over that connection card and you'll mark that you took that step, that you prayed that prayer with me this morning. And here's why. Just like you just prayed, I want to pray. I want to pray for you this week. Our staff members, they want to pray for you this week. We want to ask God to strengthen your walk with Christ. We want to ask him to help you turn away from the things you don't need anymore. So if you'll check that in. And, and also, uh, we're going to be celebrating baptism after we worship. And I pray that when we worship in this last one, you guys worship with all you have. And we're going to celebrate baptism. And I pray that you guys will celebrate them with all you have. But if that's you and you need to take that step, there's another place on the back of your card to sign up as well for next month's baptism. Would you guys stand and let's worship together this morning? Hi, this is Pastor Jeff again. I just want to say I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to support God's work through Stockbridge Community Church, simply go to our website at secview.net. Again, that's secview.net and click the Give tab. We want to thank you again for being with us today. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.